0: You're listening to Radio Influence. As the calendar counts its way towards the end of February, we continue to roll on here on Rush the Field, the college football podcast brought to you by Radio Influence. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. And Chris, I'm not so sure how much time you spend on the internet, on social media sites, because I know you're watching film like 20 hours a day, but how much time do you actually spend on social media sites?
1: Uh, zero. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason why. (laughs) It's pretty easy. (laughs) But I (laughs) know you do, and you got my back. Yes, exactly.
0: No, I I wanted to ask you because I want to start this week's episode with a viral video that I saw across social media this week. And it was a video of Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence playing intramural basketball. And we've seen these videos before of these kids playing basketball, especially the Clemson football team they have a re- they're really good at basketball but in this particular video a kid on the opposing team sets a screen on Trevor Lawrence And the quarterback took exception to this. Shoves the kid out of the way. There's a little tussle. They all get together on the court. No fighting. But it was clear that Trevor Lawrence took exception to a hard screen. You know, a nice pick like you would do in the schoolyard playing basketball. And if I'm Dabo Swinney and I see this video, I'm finding out who that kid is. And I'm making sure he goes nowhere near my quarterback, Chris. This was a little concerning to me
1: well here's the thing about it um these are kids they're very competitive and when when they're not uh we, we think that uh, they should be busy enough with school uh and off-season conditioning but a lot of them do like to play basketball and pick up basketball as we know is big everybody likes to play hoops um it was done in my day we did it Uh, i can remember the old jim armory at lsu i used to not only play but officiate basketball games and intramural basketball games many of which were just comp- uh, comprised of football players mm-hmm. I I, uh, I used to do the intramural stuff because it made a little extra money and uh, in, in addition to my my uh, my football scholarship and the the uh, the student assistant the coaching gig it gave a little extra money and I enjoyed it forever in a day I've known football players to play basketball and pickup games now when you do that you know that you're gonna have frat boy here and student body boy there that's gonna love to go up against you know said athlete and and love to kind of test their wares hey you know i I, i'm as tough as you and yada 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 and so you see that so not only do you subject yourself when you're going to play in these type of games to the potential of hey look you could just get injured doing anything but you're going to have some unnecessary shots by the way the same thing applies, maybe even more so, Scott. When you're on campus and you go into the bar, which you know they all do, and mm. and you see somebody again, and, and I'm not picking on fraternities, but you know you usually get some of those guys. Particularly, it's more prevalent in bars. Why? Because they're liquored up a little bit, you know. So they got a little, they got a little confidence, right? You know, and, and they'll say something about this or that. And of course, their season ended very well. But in some cases, hey, what happened here? And it's a pushy little talk here, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 and you got issues. These how these things take place. We think that these guys are um, looked up to on campus, and they are. But. They're also the target, you know, because they get a lot of attention. They're the subject of a lot of jealousy. So here's what I always tell guys. Um, Look, I'm not going to keep you from being a student, but you have to decide what it is is most important to you. And if I were Dabo, I'd sit down and say, look, um, I get it. You like playing basketball. That's fine. Do you realize what happened to you if you foolishly got injured in an intramural basketball game? What it could cost your future, mm-hmm. you know, team's future, and and I think you need to remind them of this. Now we deal with this a lot in the NFL because you know, but but players still do it. They're running the risk of a of a non football injury and losing a lot of money. Well, a lot of that's written into their contracts as well. well uh, and some of, c- we have it in some of our yeah. contracts, but not all of them. Not all of them. Um, in a general sense, non football injuries in there, but. There's some language in certain contracts that, you know, you put in some generic things. You can't do skydiving or things like that, you know. But there, there's a difference, of course. These guys are not getting paid. Mm-hmm. But, but in the case of Trevor, you are risking a lot. So listen, you have to tell your players, look, with whom much is given, much is expected. And while you're not getting paid – You've got a great future. You're getting everything you know that you could possibly want to set up your academic and your professional career. You're running a, a, a risk. I realize you're running a risk every time you practice uh-huh. and you work out, but you're putting yourself in a risk. So if intramural basketball is that important to you, you better sit down and think, okay, is it that important to me that if I ruin my pro career because of it, you, you you know, you better have a hard fuck because guys don't think right. Young kids, it's never going to happen to them. You know, it, they don't think twice about getting behind a wheel and drinking and driving because it's not going to happen to them. Right. You know, it's just nothing bad ever happens to you. You're young. You're in your 20s. Right. You're going to live forever. So you never think about that. But you have to sometimes kind of sit down and realize, do you realize what you have in front of you? And you realize how all of it could be gone in a snap of a finger, and so you need to make sure as to what you want to do. I don't know that I would go so far as to tell him don't play, but I'd have a hard conversation and saying, "Look, if you're going to be the leader of this team, you're going to be, you know, um, you're going to have the future that we all think you're going to have here and beyond. You need to really be smart about what you do." And how you do it, and this maybe ought to be a lesson of how you, you know, deal with things, um, you know, off the field and away from the football complex. How you know how much do you pray? I mean, you want to go and you want to do some things, a little pickup, that sort of thing. But you get into some of that intramural stuff. It's very competitive, and you get into some of that. Who are you playing with? Are you playing with friends where you can look after one another? That's the games you ought to be playing. Play with those guys, compete with those guys, but you know those guys have got your back. Other guys you don't know; they they may want to have an axe to grind, and and the same thing should apply with. Make sure that you don't get in the car with somebody you don't know, or you know somebody that's had a few drinks. All of that that applies to everyone at all times. You know, if you've got a lot at stake, Scott. You know, to me, it's foolish to risk it. That's the conversation I would have if I were Mr. Lawrence and he was my son And it would be the conversation I would have if I were Dabo or any assistant on that staff.
0: And, you know, everything he does is going to get scrutinized because of the type of player that he is. He's the leader of of this team, the national champion Clemson Tigers. Uh, He posted a comment on social media when, you know, people were talking about the video and he said, quote, he wanted to talk the whole game, LOL, still probably unnecessary. Sorry, folks. Like implying that the kid had it coming for, you know, the way that Trevor shoved him to the after setting that pick, uh, Trevor Lawrence deleted the comment, probably because, you know, maybe the coaches or somebody got to him and said, hey, we don't need you putting that kind of stuff out there. Uh, or mm-hmm. maybe he just realized that, hey, it's, it's you know, I should take the high road here. But he did apologize and he did say that it was, quote, probably unnecessary for shoving the he fellow student to the ground. But this is just the type of thing that he's going to, you know, it's a learning experience. And thankfully, Chris, it's something As innocent as a scrap During an intramural basketball game And not a fight at a bar Or anything like that But this is the type of attention That the national championship Starting quarterback Guy who has the potential to be The number one overall pick In the NFL draft in a couple of years This is the type of attention That comes upon you
1: There's no question about it So make it as a learning experience And it sounds like They probably got to him And said hey Look you want to play basketball You like it You know keep yourself in shape That's fine do it with your buddies. You got, I know there's just a ton of players on the team. Y'all have a little get-together. Y'all have a little shirts versus skins where, again, you got each other's back. Not that you won't compete and try to block mm-hmm. their shot and all that, but you're not going to have somebody that's maybe going to, you know, and, and if you got one of your buddies that are yapping at you, you're not taking it the same way as some guy that, exactly. you know, is trying to just, you know, open yourself up in a very cautious way, be careful who you're around because not everybody has your best interest at heart. You know, deal with and and work through the people that do have your best interest. It's maturity. Mm-hmm. Again, he's young, he doesn't think anything is ever going to go wrong because, you know, he hadn't lived long enough to realize that bad things happen. Um, and so it, it's, it's a learning experience. Let's talk some other quarterback news. Uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback Josh Jackson is going to
0: transfer to Maryland uh, after he completes his degree. So he is going to be eligible to play actually this fall right away. Do you envision Josh Jackson being the starting quarterback for the Terrapins in 2019?
1: I think he's got a really good shot. Um, you know, I think it really depends on how quickly he's able to pick things up. There's not. He's missing spring,
0: uh, obviously, so he's not going to work with the team. Yeah, during the spring. Yeah, that's going
1: to hurt. That's that's definitely going to hurt. And I mean, you know, you'd like for him to be there in all the offseason programs. So, I mean, I, I would classify it as they've got a shot. Um, they're not real strong there. Um, they've got uh, a couple of kids that are sophomores that that I don't think personally Or the answer uh, in the Pogrom kid or the Tyler Dessou kid that that I think he's capable of beating out. However, uh, we'll see. You know, um, you know if he's able to pick things up and adjust. He's a really talented guy. He's certainly more talented than anybody they have on their roster. So um, I don't know uh, if early part of the season if he's the guy. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the quarterback at some point during the Uh, starting quarterback at some point during the year. Uh, Let me ask you, Chris. Mm-hmm.
0: He's accepted, right? So the, the transfer has been accepted, right? Uh, he went into the, you know, did the whole thing going through the the transfer portal. Uh, you Correct. know, Mike Loxley accepts him. So now he is committed to playing for Maryland in 2019. He still has to finish his degree this spring. Can. Mike Loxley and Maryland send him a playbook on an iPad? Can he start watching film? Can he start learning and having communication with the Maryland
1: coaching staff, even though he's not enrolled in school? Not until he's enrolled in school. Okay. Um, uh, now I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be a cynical and say that Got it. some way that you know, but but he's it's not supposed to happen. No. Um, it, until you're enrolled in school, you can't have any communication uh, involving a football standpoint. Now you can have communication with like enrollment people on you know getting paperwork in or what have you let's make sure uh, we getting, let's make sure getting, we
0: enroll your, him for summer classes so he's yeah in, in June. exactly
1: yeah. so all right you know make sure we get the transfer stuff by the people at tech and you know you move on and he can start planning you know where he you know he can go visit again on his own and figure out where he wants to live and all that um uh, can he stop by and visit Ken uh, uh, In terms of the Work and giving that um, If that is done you just Better make sure nobody knows about
0: it <laughs> Just wonder uh, wonder what class he's going to take You know for his graduate class remember, remember Matt Leinert after he graduated And he stayed at USC He took one class and it was
1: ballroom yep. dancing <laughs> yeah he did. he did. Uh, you know, and, and, he, and he and he studied uh, he looked at film all year. yeah, no, that's uh, and that's what the early. We talked about this several times. that's what the early enrollees lead to. Uh, you get early finishes, and kids have figured out if you roll early, uh, and if you don't make it, you can find a way to maybe transfer as a graduate transfer. Mm-hmm. We know that you can transfer anyway, but you can be a graduate transfer and kind of finish your career, get a degree one place and maybe go some other place and, um, you know, maybe get get a, a situation to where you are a, you know, well, in the case of let's take uh, 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 Gunnar Minshaw last year was before he went to Washington State, he was going to Alabama as a backup. Yep. And the deal was he was going to, get a degree, and then he was going to you know, be a backup and practice and learn and become a graduate assistant this year. And instead, he had an opportunity to go play and obviously play very well. So it, it gives a, a real interesting opportunity for these players on the back end of their – uh, their college careers to be able to move on as a graduate transfer.
0: Speaking of Wazoo, we're going to get to them in a couple of minutes. Our state of the program this week is the Washington State Cougars. And head coach Mike Lee going to have to move on from Gardner Minshew, who had such a tremendous year last year. Uh, speaking of coaches and polarizing coaches, Chris, Jim Harbaugh's at it again. Uh, first, he brought his team to Italy. Then it was a trip to France last year. And now this May, the Michigan Wolverines are going to South Africa. and the only thing. can say is you know what if the alumni are going to continue to pay for these trips why the heck not right
1: yeah i mean a lot of people have made a lot of you know um all sarcastic comments about hey that's the most noteworthy thing he's done since he's been the head coach (laughs) here yada 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 and you get to see the world and all but it really is an ingenious thing um what a great opportunity for kids that most of them heck some of them maybe outside of you know um you know maybe a couple of opportunities haven't left their state yeah and and most of them haven't left the country so can you imagine being a student athlete and maybe having uh, the opportunity to go uh to Paris to go to, to Rome and then now go to South Africa. Um, what an opportunity. I, educational. Uh, it, there is a lot of college programs, a lot of uh, uh, college uh, colleges that offer, you know, uh, abroad studies. What an opportunity to go as a team. It's team bonding and whatnot. It, it hasn't done a whole lot for on the field part, but it really goes to show that there's some element to it that um, is, is really neat. And again, if uh, if they get an opportunity to have that uh, you know that situation paid for them and that's something some of them may they never travel out of the country ever again you know mm-hmm. so what a, what a great opportunity uh, to to go there I know I never traveled out of the country until <laughs> I was in the NFL and we played a game overseas so I mean, <laughs> you know I just never was never one to do it never you know not going to spend the money to do it you know I just you know so what a great opportunity at this young age most of them from From means that wouldn't allow it to be able to get that that chance. So great for them.
0: I, I, you know, it's a recruiting thing also because Mm -hmm. now you know you're telling these kids, hey, we we take a team bonding trip every single year to Europe. Uh, It's an experience that you don't get anywhere else. And these kids are like, oh wow, you know, and their parents are blown away by it. And they're like, you know, my boy can get some culture. Uh, I think it's just a tremendous move. And and like I said, the the alumni continues to pay for it. So why not?
1: Yeah, and listen, um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Is a very hoity-toity academic, artsy type of place. Like, you know, study abroad. I mean, it kind of fits that persona of kind of how they like to do things. So, a building a um, Michigan man,
0: right? Is that is that as uh, they
1: say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of it. Really, it really kind of now. Now, the players that or football players may not be, you know, that go there may not be the typical Ann Arbor student, but you know, it's kind of fits the mold of. Again, kind of the the academic, artsy type of travel abroad type of, you know, we're going to go on a mission type of place. Uh, that There's a lot of that that goes on. So it kind of fits the profile of the university, which quite frankly, I'm a little bit surprised and impressed because Jim, I never thought of him as somebody that would do that. I didn't really realize you could do that and it, it, I never really gave it any thought. And Jim is more kind of a hard nosed football guy. For him to be open minded enough to do that, quite frankly, is one of the more impressive things I've seen out of him. I'd like to see him be a little bit more creative offensively mm. on the field in the falls. But yeah, I, I got no problem with it at all. And people want to laugh at it. It's, that's fine too. I want to get into some other coaching news here, Chris. Uh, looks like Jeremy Pruitt's going to bring in some help. And it's a guy that he's actually
0: pretty familiar with.
1: Yeah, Derek Ainsley uh, certainly has got a background, background at Alabama. He and Jeremy have a background there. Derek, good re- good recruiter, went into the NFL. like A lot of these guys do kind of learn a little bit more about the on-field coaching. He's done a good job with the Raiders, grown a lot as a football coach. Uh, Jeremy was very, very cautious to bring in this offseason some guys that he thought could upgrade recruiting. Um, he let Terry Farr go, secondary coach. Derek's going to come in, um, and I think I think Jeremy's still going to call the defense, I don't know. I don't know that that he'll even come out and discuss it, but it's my guess that he's likely going to call the defense and Derek's going to be a big part of kind of coordinating the defense and and having a big role there and certainly having an effect recruiting. So he's done a really nice job. Uh, putting together that staff and he's recruiting very well um you know the the challenge is obviously he's looking up at some teams even in his own division that are doing it very very well and uh a team that uh, school that he's got to play uh, in the the other division uh, every year that's uh, also very good so uh, i think things are looking up but i don't know that um And I know the expectations are getting up and up, but I I think that what Jeremy's doing is a very solid job of building this program. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what type of step that they can make this year, if any.
0: Let's stick in the SEC before we get to our state of the program on the Washington Cougars. Uh, We found out last week, Chris, that Missouri is appealing the sanctions, not just upon, obviously, their football program, but across all their sports. They are appealing that. But going along with the Missouri sanction story, their head football coach, Barry Odom, Is not happy with what's going
1: on with Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee Volunteers, right? Yeah, you know, first of all, Missouri should appeal um if you look at it we talked about this last week so i'm not going to get into it and jump on this again because it just irritates me but you know you deal with they self-reported things and they're getting hammered for something that north carolina denied uh-huh. and lauried up and you know that here and there so they're 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 going to appeal it and we'll see how that goes but with that comes the ruling at this stage that they're not going to a bowl game at missouri they're going to be barred from that so when that is the case, I don't know how many people are aware of this. You are now telling you that uh, kids can transfer. Uh, without and, having, and to, me, without in, having to in, sit in, out a year. Correct. So uh, welcome to modern day college football, Barry. Barry Odom is not happy because a number of players uh, that Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee recruited, that um, you know that, that some of them that are at Missouri – um, <laughs> you're actively trying to recruit him to Tennessee. Now, that may sound like it is sinister or really, really bad, but um, it is something that, uh, listen, that's within the rules. And that's kind of the way it is. And so Barry made some comments that, hey, you know, I we beat this team. Now they're trying to get our players. And I just say, hey, look, Barry, this is, it's a tough situation. I feel bad that missouri has gone through this i think in in an unfortunate way with the ncaa but this is um something that you got to deal with because they uh, they will schools will continue to recruit your players and not only will they do it in this scenario but you will see this more and more with the transfer portal being what it is and the ability of players getting in don't be naive any coach out there that there's not somebody associated that's getting into your player's ear saying you should be playing more you're better than this guy if you come over here you could and then you know you you get into these situations now the ncaa's got themselves on a pickle because everybody that's transferring we talked about justin fields last week Well, he transferred, you know, because he lost out for the job. But he had a story that he could use to justify getting him immediately eligible, and they ruled that he's eligible. Okay, well then, so now you wonder if the NCAA is going to start kind of denying some of these because it's becoming too easy. You never know how that that body is going to figure things out. But you know, it seems like it's pretty simple that if you transfer. they're going to allow you to be immediately eligible. So I think we're going to continue to have more and more of it. One final story, Chris.
0: The Auburn-Georgia game, which is normally played in November, could be moving to October. And there's a bunch of reasons why this rivalry game could be moving. From the Georgia perspective, Kirby Smart said last year at uh, the SEC um, Media Days that he doesn't want to play rivalry games against Auburn and Georgia Tech back to back. And they did it on the road last year, back to back weeks. For the Auburn perspective, Gus Malzahn does not want to play Georgia and Alabama on the road in the same month, which is what happens under the current schedule. According to reports, this move could come as early as 2020. Is this a smart move for
1: both programs to move this game? It is for the reasons that you mentioned From a competitive reason, it makes all the sense in the world for both. I, as is for the fans, I don't think it's all that good. I think it's the the Deep South's oldest rivalry, and you know I think those games are best in November, don't you? I mean, there there's some good games that are earlier, but still, look, feel, I October mean,
0: still feels like September feels like a preseason. October feels like we're starting to get into it. November is where it's like. This is real. What do you always say? The games in November are the ones you remember, right? That's, that's, that's where right. it's real.
1: You know, that's where the season's really involved. And this game, even though you got Georgia in the East and Auburn in the West, this usually usually comes down to almost an elimination game for one of them. I mean, somehow, some way. I mean, it may eliminate Auburn or it may eliminate Georgia in the past. It's it's kind of affected that, whereas a little bit earlier, it, you know, you've got time to recover. So while the game will still be important, it it won't have as much importance as it will later in the year. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how this plays out hey by the way we didn't it happened after last show but big news that came out and it's been almost a week now but jim levitt leaving at oregon the big story as the defensive coordinator of course that uh, we covered that on landryfootball.com but that was big Um, for a number of reasons because obviously Jim interviewed for the head job at Oregon that went to Mario Cristobal and Jim was one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in the country and when he didn't get the job things didn't go very well on the staff I was told this year and it just kind of balled and uh, you know Jim tried to get a job at we tried to get the Colorado job he tried to get the Texas Tech job and, and he didn't the head jobs that is and it didn't work out so that there's a big-time defensive coordinator that's on the market, uh, but probably is going to wait, sit it out. He's got 2.5 million dollars coming to him. <laughs> but that's a bi- that's a big that's a big news there for Oregon to make that move. Obviously, you tend to do it late because recruiting, you go through recruiting. But that was a big, big news story. Jim has been a guy that's been kind of challenging to work with, but. You know, that that's kind of the way it goes. And another quick little news story. John Summerall is leaving Ole Miss as linebacker coach to take the job at Kentucky, which we has talked, been yeah, filled. The opening, is, yep. they moved, Matt House has moved over from a Kentucky to the Chiefs um, to work with Steve Spagnuolo. Brad White's been promoted, so John Summerall's coming in there. So, yes, there's some still movements going on in the coaching world. It's amazing.
0: All right, Chris, let's get into our state of the program. What's going on at your favorite school? This state of the program on Rush the Field. And our featured program this week is the Washington State Cougars coming off a tremendous season last year under head coach Mike Leak. Chris, they creeped up into the top 10 in the rankings and even had a chance to go to the Pac-12 title game, but it didn't work out for them at the end of the season last year, and well, they still had to settle for a pretty nice bowl game instead.
1: Yeah, they did. And uh, of course, have you been to Washington State at all? I have not been to Pullman, no. Okay, Uh, if you get a chance to go to Pullman, if you haven't been out there, folks, it is the most unique place in the Pac-12. It's a campus surrounded by rolling wheat. I mean, it is just that's just what it is. It's the student body makes up 85 to 88 percent of the town's. Um, uh, 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 citizens there. I mean, it is, the Pullman, Washington is Washington State. It is, It is. you take that the, the students away and you have very little ass, uh, very little left. You got some famous alums, uh, a couple of people that you you will remember. Uh, oh, Nellie, Keith Jackson. You know, ever you think of them. Mm-hmm. Keith Jackson grew up in Georgia, went to school at Washington State. Uh, everybody knows Keith Jackson. Now, a name you probably heard about, I know in your journal, Background: Edward R. Murrow. That's remember right. the great Ed went to Washington State as well, and then Paul Allen, who we unfortunately lost recently, uh, uh, co-founder of Microsoft and uh, the owner of the Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks, um, went to Washington State as well. In Pullman, Washington, where the stadium is 33,522, thousand five twenty-two, it's been a program, Scott, that's been. What I would call a stepping stone, and maybe a stepchild program. Their first coach was. Um William Goodyear, and they had their first win over Idaho, and they had the walks of the Palooks, where the losing team would walk from you know Washington State to Idaho. That's that's the closest university to Washington State. And you go into their early days; they had, they had success earlier with William Henry Dietz, who was the coach from 1915 to 17. They won the Rose Bowl in 1915 against Brown. Yes. Brown, when the powers, as we've talked about in this series, the power was in the East, they beat them. Then the great Babe Hollingberry came in. He coached for 17 seasons. I think he can make the case, and we'll get into it in a second, who's the greatest coach in Washington State history. I don't know. It's probably... Bay, but certainly you can make the case for mike price but yeah. he was outstanding 93 wins more wins than anybody there they played the 30 team played in the 31 rose bowl they lost to alabama great alabama team they washington state did not lose a single home game from 1926 to 1936 they had some great players none better than mel hein a great Center in the 1930s at 6'2", 230 pounds. I might add, he was a great player. They didn't have a football team through '43 and '44 because of World War II. Then came the Forrest Evashevski run, who took over the Washington State program. Now, this is what I'm talking about, kind of the stepping stone program. He was a coach uh, in in '49. His '51 team finished 14th in the country and 18th. Had an 11-6 and 2 record for two seasons. Then he leaves to go to Iowa. Yes, Forrest Evesheski, that Forrest Evesheski of Iowa fame. He Hall was at famer. Washington mm-hmm. State before going to – and he was an assistant at Michigan before that. So it was kind of a, a stepping stone type program. So Al Kirchner comes in off of Evesheski's staff. Um he wasn't real successful, 13, 25, not real. Serious. Then Burt Clark comes in, four seasons, 15 and 24, not very good. So it takes us all the way through to my big buddy's name, 1978 Jim Walton, who played his college football at Wyoming under the great Bob Devaney and coached as an assistant coach um, for those great Nebraska teams in 70 and 71 that won national titles under Devaney. He goes to Washington State. He was promoted. Warren Powers came in and coached for one season. Um, Let me back up. After Clark was fired, Jim Sweeney of Fresno State fame came in, and he served as a coach for Washington State for eight years. He had a 72 season, which was pretty good. Then he was let go after the 75 season. Then some guy named Jackie Sherrill came in for one year, and then he left after one year to go to Pitt. (laughs) Then Warren Powers came in, served as a head coach for one year, Then he enough to go to Missouri. So you get where I'm, you know, they've got a complex there that this is a stepping stone job. Then my buddy Jim Walden comes in in 1978. He takes him to the Holiday Bowl in 1981. That was the first bowl game in fifty years, five O years at Washington State. Did a good job. He left after the '86 season to go to Iowa State. So he himself did it. Then Dennis Erickson comes in. Now Dennis was a Northwest guy, and he said it was his dream job. And he did a nice job. He accepts the Miami job. Yeah, in yeah some dream job. Yeah, <laughs> so much for that. Then Mike Price comes in in 1989. He comes over from Weber State. He had some really good teams. The best team he had was the 97 team. Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf yep. was really good. Yeah, you, you remember that. They were 9 and 10, really good. But guess what? He had an 83 and 78 record, did a great job, went to not one, Two Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. He resigned after the 2000 season to to season to go to where to Alabama. (laughs) Another guy that used it as hey, let's move on. It it, it truly was a stepping stone job. Of course, he never coached a game at Alabama. If you remember, it was the fabled uh, he got hired uh, and he had the uh, the the very expensive lap dance in Mm -hmm. Pensacola, Florida. That got him into some off the field trouble. Never coached a game at Alabama. Then the problem started. Bill Doba came in. He was promoted from defensive coordinator after price was uh, was uh, you know left. That didn't work out. Um he was fired after a couple of seasons. Two thousand and seven was really bad. So they went in and hired Eastern Washington's head coach Paul Wolf to replace Bill Doba. He struggled big time. I mean, he had a nine and forty record. He didn't win any more than four games. Two thousand and twelve, they bring in the pirate. Mike Leach comes in of course after being out being unceremoniously dumped at Texas Tech he comes in does a really good job installs that air raid up-tempo passing attack they go to a 2013 to the new mexico bowl that's the first bowl game they had in a decade gets a two-year extension they had their best record since 2006 uh, in 2015 they get their first bowl victory since 2003 it was pac 12 coach of the year they extended again now for 2000 to 2020 then 2016 you know heck they they finished with a seven and two record um uh, in, in the Pac-12 and an 8-5 and five in 2016. Another good year this year, obviously. And it seems like they found a guy that's a home. But let's remember that, yes, even he, Mike Leach, accepted the job a year ago, uh, a couple of years ago now, at Tennessee mm-hmm. until that was next at the at the final. I remember the year that they, you know, when they ended up hiring the, Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, they uh, went through
0: everyone. They went through Greg Schiano. They went Greg through, yeah, they went, and, and the and, Tennessee and fan base, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they unceremoniously kicked out every everybody that they brought in there. The, the fan base just didn't, they weren't happy with anyone.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, she had the president that wasn't real happy with the athletic director. They fired the athletic director, Philip Fulmer, comes in and hires Pruitt. But Mike Leach was one of those guys that was offered mm-hmm. the job. So Mike is still there, having success, doing a really good job. You know, if you look at this program, as we've kind of pointed it out, it's, you know, it's been a program that's been kind of the little engine that could. Um, You know, probably in the the early stages was Hollenberry was the, the longest tenured coach and had the most success consistently. And then outside of that, it was... Uh, Mike Price, who obviously coached long enough and went to two Rose Bowls. But they've had some good coaches that have come in, had some really good players that have come in there. Um, You know, I talked about the great Mel Hine, but how about Reuben Mays running back in the early 80s, played for the Saints, really good player. Mike Utley, a college football Hall of Famer, tragically with the Detroit Lions, uh, paralyzed on the field of play with the Lions um, and has been an advocate for uh, paraplegics uh, around Jason Hanson one of the best place kickers ever Ryan Long a defensive tackle in the early 2000s Jerome Harrison Cody Connell uh, Hercules Matafa of the past couple of years really good player the great Turk Edwards and uh, William Dietz that I mentioned as a coach that was a great um, you know player so they've had some good ones uh, it is not a program that you know we can talk about in terms of national titles Ever. It's not a program that we can talk about winning the Pac-12, but it is a program that is in a sleepy town, that it is at a place that got some attention with College Game Day this past year yep. where, you know, people got to see what it's all about. You kind of like you go up in a hill and it's just there it is. And as I said, it's just a surrounded by rolling wheat. It's just in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it is a neat little place where, again, the campus – is the city the city is the campus and mike has found a home there and i think it's a really good place for him i know a big time program is something that he would definitely consider moving to but i think mike is a fit where he can kind of do his own thing be his kind of unique self i won't say weird but others will <laughs> he's, um, he's quirky quirky Yes, very, very quirky. You're being very kind. And so <laughs> he's you know, he's he's a good coach and it's a good fit, but the expectations are not great. Mike's never been a guy that could recruit great players anyway. He's never been a program that can recruit great players. But he's a guy that can get something out of his team and make it a little bit fun and competitive. And that's a program that if you don't watch it, they're the worst program in that conference uh it's the program where it's like you know everyone forgets about you know but when they've been competitive they've been really interesting to watch um because they you know it's a place where if you go to bowl games you'll have a job forever and if you can you know maybe catch teams on a bad year who knows it is no fun to go to Pullman, Washington, particularly at night when it's rainy and it's cold. Most of the teams in the Pac-12, sunny, warm, don't like it, and it's usually a mistake fest. Um, Dennis Erickson, when he was coaching there in 1988, I remember him with a, just a very average team, barely bowl-eligible team, went in and beat Number one, UCLA, who was quarterbacked by Troy Aikman. So uh, they're capable of pulling that upset. And of course, you know, if that th- if they're good enough to at least make the Apple Cup game fun, that's always good. So well, and I'll tell you what, in this this
0: past year, if it didn't snow, that Apple Cup could have turned out a lot differently because it, that that weather was just devastating to that. Air raid offense, you know, and, and, you know, they tried their best. They, They put up a decent fight early, but there were a couple of mistakes. And I think that the weather absolutely played a factor
1: in that loss to Washington. Oh, I think it—you know—it it definitely contributed to it, and who knows what. And then have we're talking happened, about, but, and then
0: if they win, we're talking about a Rose Bowl appearance and maybe finishing in the top five of the rankings. They were number seven yeah, at that point.
1: No, no question about. It. And then you know, when people say, "Well, you can do it," yeah, you can. It's—it's kind of like, you know, when we talk about certain programs, uh, you know, their haves and the have-nots. Well. You know, Washington State is a have-not. But when USC is not doing a very good job out on the South, you know, you, you know you can beat anybody in the South. At least last year you could. And in the North, you know, Washington was the more complete team. But as you mentioned, certainly not a juggernaut. Everything was wide open. I mean, the Pac-12, to say it was mediocre is being kind. and And I thought Washington State was – One of the few programs, programs that actually overachieved. When you looked at the other programs, they underachieved relative to what their resources are. Washington State did not. Now, is that is that correlated? Of course. You know, when you got your better programs not doing a very good job, you got a better chance of winning. So, I don't know that it's. You know, listen. Unless the rest of the schools continue to do a poor job. I don't think Washington State can consistently compete in the North and win it, but you know I, I think that 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 the potential is there for them to be a bowl team. And if you don't do your job, Washington, Oregon, and certainly on the South side, you know Stanford, and on the South side, USC, UCLA, etc. You know Washington State is very capable of doing you know good things, and you know I would call them. If you, for people that a lot of our fans may not kind of always look for. Comparisons. If you're a Southeastern Conference fan, you would look at Washington State as kind of a Mississippi State-ish mm-hmm. in terms of a profile um, in that they've got to take less talent. They've got to work. But the difference is that Mississippi State is in a more fertile recruiting ground, whereas Washington State has to go in. There's not a whole lot of players in the Northwest, and they got to go into California and in Northern California and beat some – it's a very, very competitive – for them to compete for kids, and they normally get the two stars. Occasional three stars are good for them. They don't get anything close to a four star or five star.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that was our
1: State of the Program on the number 10
0: Washington State Cougars. We are now into the top 10. Next week, we hook them. We take a look at the Texas Longhorns. Now, Chris, I know it's a busy time for you, not just with college football. Spring coming as soon as you know we can. The Combine is coming up, though. I know you're going to be out in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine. You're going to be on top of it all at LandryFootball.com.
1: Yeah, we do. As we mentioned, this is the busiest time of year because we've got a lot of things converging. Now, for our college fans, I hope you've had a chance uh, to check out our breakdowns of all the recruiting classes, grading every player in every class, going in-depth, the scouting reports on the players. So, think you'll love that if you hadn't had a chance to check that out we are keeping you updated on what's going on in the draft process at the draft preparation the combine preparation for these players in the nfl free agencies right around the corner um we are in the week where you can start to tag players and we're keeping everybody up to date on what's going on there so it is the um you, you know player personnel season it's the scouting season and that's why we've got our special over at landryfootball.com a scouting season sales the sale so you've got the opportunity to uh, learn more about these rosters and college that have changed all these transfer portal guys in our college notebooks where they're going, we keep you up to date on that. And then obviously breaking. we're going to be breaking out the free agent boards and um, the uh, the draft boards and all the scouting reports um, for all of that. So uh, it's a great opportunity to get involved with LandryFootball.com and at a great discount with our scouting season. Today.
0: Yeah, it's less than a magazine subscription. And you can also, don't forget, the Landry Football Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. New episodes of Rush the Field every Wednesday. And go to LandryFootball.com and sign up for the free War Room. Newsletter. Just give them your email address. You get inside information that's not available on the website for publication. It gets delivered right to your email weekly, free. The War Room Newsletter. You definitely want to sign up for that. Get a little taste of what you can get when you are a subscriber to LandryFootball.com. Just tell them where you heard about it, and you heard about it right here on Rush the Field, the best college football podcast there is out there. You can follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. You follow me at Scott'sOnAir. Rush the Field. With Chris Landry and me, Scott Seidenberg, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google
1: Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Until next week, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, man. Uh, Enjoy it. Have a great week of college football, and we'll keep you up to date on all the news. Talk to you about it next week. That's right. Combine coming soon.
2: This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick fix on Radio Influence. If you listen to this podcast and that I've been doing for the last year and a half, I said way back when Colin Kaepernick is going to win. I mean, because collusion is a real thing. If I had a team, do I want Colin Kaepernick on my team? I'm not sure. But you still can't argue that he doesn't deserve to be on a team skill-wise. The NFL lost the case, it was settled, and the rumors are that Kaepernick got between 60 and 80 million dollars. That's winning. That's winning. And then I heard people say, well, that's not a win. The NFL makes so much money, so much money, they don't care. Uh, Billionaires don't give up nothing. They don't give up five dollars, more or less, 80 million. And if you give somebody 80 million, that's admitting I was good and wrong, okay? Doesn't matter what side you are on, if you make 32 billionaires, give you millions of dollars, they were wrong because they don't do that. They don't give nothing to nobody. They were wrong. So Colin Kaepernick's winning. I mean, Colin Kaepernick was named man of the year. Colin Kaepernick's got a settlement for somewhere close to $80 million for, to not play football? Shit. If you say, Ian, I'm going to give you $80 million in next year, you can either play football or not play football. I won't move. I'm not playing football. Sorry. If I could not play football and make $80 million, I win. Colin Kaepernick is winning. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher,
1: TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.